This can sound like a life hack, like everybody wants to use their phone less, and that's good. But I think the real spiritual value here is that when you realize that God made you for presence and that everything important in life, from loving God to loving neighbor, which are the two greatest commandments, require presence. And that requires that we be people who can turn it off, to, to be attentive to prayer, for example. I, I genuinely don't know how we would become a people of prayer or teach our kids to pray if we never know how to turn our friend off. Welcome back to What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is Justin Whitmill Early. And Justin's a lawyer, author, speaker, husband, and father of four boys. He owns the Early Group and also makes a tremendous impact through the messaging in his books and through the talks he performs. I've become a huge fan of his work and I'm really excited to dig in on the concepts of habits, family rhythms, friendship, and much more today. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast wherever you tune in weekly. And if you haven't already, go to Amazon and order my new book, Tackle What's Next. The link to that's in the show notes. Justin, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thrilled to be here. Appreciate you asking me. Yeah, let's let's start here. So I've read up on your story, and right after college, you went to Shanghai to be a missionary. So I'm always intrigued of what leads to that decision. And then also, I'm assuming that that was instrumental in your growth and journey in life. What, what were yeah. your takeaways and what you learned through your time in Shanghai? Well, the decision to go there was fun because at the end of my four years of college, I was an English major at UVA. And um, I was trying to decide, should I go and tour with my like rock punk emo band that I was in at the time, or should I go to China and be a missionary? So they're two very diverse options, neither of which were uh, promising to make any money at all. But um, I honestly, I, I prayed a lot that last year and I felt this was one of the, just a couple times in my life where I've really felt the Lord calling me to do something. And I felt a strong call to go to China and I never had never looked back. It was such a formative time. One, just to live as a you know Christian minority in a majority secular culture. Um, that was, it was so formative for me to get to understand how the Chinese church works, um, the, the house church and the persecution they experience, what it was like to live abroad, learn a new language, learn what the Bible was like in a new language, how different things were translated. I mean, the Lord grew my faith in so many ways. Um, so it was, a. am really, really thankful for those almost five years that I spent there in Shanghai. Yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear about. So uh, afterwards, you go to law school, uh, you start the early group, or you know, you work your way to that. But I want to know what inspired you to become an author? Well, I became an author through uh, failure, not through success. So I have always wanted to write as an English major. And I've, I've written my whole life, written articles, novels, poetry, everything. Um, but what happened, Eric, was that I went from being a missionary to going to law school. And I really felt called to go to, to business law. And so this was like the second calling moment in my life. That hasn't been a really big one since, but I felt called to go to China, felt called to become a business lawyer. So I came back from China and ran at being a lawyer with all the fervor of a man on a call. And I went really hard, tried to do really well, because I had this you know, sort of theology which I think is right, that I should do it excellently and for the glory of God. What I didn't realize is that my head was in the right place, but my habits had totally assimilated to the normal crazy life of a top law school student, which 
is kind of like the rest of modern America, always being attached to your phone, always overscheduling, always saying yes to more. You know, we're probably just on the next level of silliness in terms of overextending ourselves. And that was working for me until it wasn't. And I had an enormous um, anxiety breakdown my first year of lawyering where I realized that, you know, my head was in the right place. Like the house of my life was decorated with this Christian content of calling, but the architecture of my habits were just like everybody else's. And I became like the nervous medicating lawyer who was having panic attacks, couldn't sleep, needed either medication or a drink just to go to sleep at night. And I, not only was that a really dark time in my life, and I could talk more about that if for some reason you want to dive deep into the darkness, but but what I realized was that the missionary had become converted to the nervous medicating lawyer. How did that happen? And I started to realize that it had happened through habit by, by acting like a stressed, anxious, overly busy person. I became one in my soul. And that was a huge realization for me that we're formed a lot more by our habits than we think. I always sort of thought we were just formed by what we said to ourselves in our head, but that, that opened a whole new um, way of understanding my walk with Jesus, that it was a project, not just of your head, but of your habits as well. And that if your head goes one way and your habits go the other way, your heart's going to follow your habits. And I, I became really interested in processing that and writing about that. And eventually that led to a book where I tell this story and talk about how habits can be really spiritually formative um, and you need to pick them on purpose. Yeah. So your book, The Common Rule, which discusses these habits is where I got introduced to your work and really started diving in. So really enjoyed uh, that book and, and your your talk on habits is incredible. And, and I like how you differentiated between the thoughts because people always say, you know, show me your thoughts and I'll show me your life. And I've always kind of abided by, yes, that's true. But especially through my world in sports, you know, you can think all you want, but if your habits, if your dedication, right, your right. craft aren't there, you, I don't care how yeah. much you, you're dreaming of being a pro bowl player, you're not going to become one. So I've seen that happen in my life before. So why would it be any different in this next chapter of life? And so I really enjoy digging in um, on on your work there. And we won't spoil all of the concepts in the book because I want people to go out there and read it. But there's a few I would love to kind of just dig in a little further with you and, and, and give uh, this to the listeners out there. One of, uh, one of the habits that you do weekly. So in the book, you talk about daily habits and weekly habits. One of the weekly habits is a 24-hour fast from something. So when we think fast, generally you'll think food. Um, but I understand that's not always the case in this instance. So what's this look like for you on a weekly basis, this 24-hour fast? Oh, I love that you asked about that. A lot of people overlook that one. Um, well, at the time that I wrote the book, fasting from food became really important to me and a almost weekly habit, especially during like seasons of Lent in the year. And a lot of people aren't familiar with fasting at all. So it's important to know that fasting is historical Christian practice. I mean, obviously, if you read the Bible, you read it through the Old and the New Testament. Jesus did it. Israelites did it. Christians really should do it. It's interesting that Jesus um, in the gospel says, when you fast, Da, da, right. da, 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 which he, he presumes that his followers are fasting and um, whether or not it's from food. I, I like to help believers understand that it's really a way of denying yourself some sort of um, regular 
and even necessary pleasure, such as eating. So it's always temporary. It's not fasting from selfishness or you know drunkenness or something else that you should always be not doing, right? Fasting is the idea that something that's okay, like eating, you nonetheless don't do in order to voluntarily suffer and experience that gap, you know, between myself and contentment. So here's what it looks like for me. Whenever I decide to, to fast from food, or I'll also, you know, just say like, you know, fat, you could fast from social media, you could fast from, from alcohol, just say like, you know, for these days, I'm not going to drink and maybe I'll enjoy something on the weekend. You can fast from lots of things, but which, when you do, you realize that you're usually a lot more disgruntled than you think, because there are small pleasures throughout the day that get you to, okay, I'm okay. Now that I have this, I'm okay. And you quickly realize that when you fast, you're, you're actually a weak person. You're, you're probably a frustrated, angry, impatient person like me that copes with food or drink. And so it's an incredible way to reveal our deeper need for things and also to reveal that deepest need for God and say, I'm going to practice relying on him. And so for me in my regular life, now, Eric, really my fasting comes now more in the church seasons where it's either in, you know, maybe Advent or Lent, where I'm actually doing it on a weekly basis. And, and then like uh, probably a bigger moments where we're praying for somebody or, or something. But the regular routine of denying myself has now become sort of a, a constant pattern where I'm saying, okay, today I'm not going to eat any sugar or sweets, or today I'm not going to have a glass of wine, even though that would be nice before bed, or, or today I'm not looking at social media. And it gets you in the idea of saying, I'm somebody who's ready to restrain myself, which is really important for any American because American is the land of America is the land of, of sugar, of sex, of alcohol, of sweets, of anything you want, anytime you want it. And that's not how a Christian is called to live. Now, a few takeaways there. I love how you brought up at the beginning, not if you fast, when you fast, Jesus said that. And fasting has been a part of every culture, not just Christian culture, every culture around the world, except for our American culture, That's where true. Yeah, it's, really it's, true. it's immediate pleasure at all times. Me and my wife, when, when my career ended and we realized that we were kind of just in this stage of life where it wasn't that we weren't content, we weren't striving for this next level of wealth or whatever it may be. But we were just so comfortable in our daily lives. And so if we wanted to grab Starbucks, we could. And then it got into a mm -hmm. weekly rhythm of, okay, okay, why are we grabbing Starbucks five times mm -hmm. this week? And not that mm -hmm. we can't afford it, but then you don't appreciate it. So it might be fine dining for a month. And so we started doing these monthly fasts, not from food, but we would do these monthly fasts from Starbucks or oh, fine cool. dining or yeah. alcohol or whatever it may be so that we're appreciating the next time we get these pleasures in life that we've just become accustomed to in this yeah. life of comfort that we've kind of built. And so those have been fun to do. And and even we've even done, okay, no Amazon purchases for a month. And you realize how yeah, reliant you are that. there. But then that. after one month, all of a sudden you have this new appreciation of getting on the app and just saying, Hey, we need toilet paper, like not tomorrow, but this week. And instead of yes. running to the store for a special trip, we can just click a button and do that. So you appreciate it more and more. Fasting was big for me. So I played in the NFL about 310 pounds. I'm about 250 now, but I had these habits of, cause I was a constant battle to keep that weight on. So first right. thing in the morning, going to drink a shake or eat something right before bed. And it was eating around the clock. So you know, where intermittent fasting or however, you know, whatever diet or eating plan mm -hmm. that you prescribe to, 
I needed to create some new habits. So intermittent fasting was great for me because then I was appreciating the meals for the first time in a long, long time since I had been trying to keep this weight on for football. So I love the concept of fasting and fasting from things. And then uh, you mentioned that even just a 24 hour fast from food, which generally my wife and I will do like Sunday dinner to Monday dinner when we're in a rhythm of life where we're we're either trying to cut back on some pounds or like I said, kind of in just one of those like, hey, we're, we're just living very comfortably right now and not a- appreciating, you know, the luxuries of life like we should. And so we'll do those, you know, 24 hour food fasts. And it's amazing that if in those times of hunger, you could say, like, Lord, thank you that on a normal day to day basis, like I don't have to feel these things or, hey, like I'm feeling this urge to eat. OK, this let me let me shift this towards a reliance on God. So I, I truly love that chapter. It's funny that you said most people will gloss over that because most people don't want to have that temporary right. suffering for what could then benefit them more later in the long run. That's right. I, I think this is, it's fun talking to an athlete about this because I also really appreciated your introduction about how, you know, as a, as an athlete, you know, that habits matter. Right. And a lot of, I think maturity in the spiritual life comes when real when you realize that God gave you a body and it is teaching you about your spirituality. So to deny your body of things is a way to deny your soul for things. And you get stronger. You actually become a happier, more content person because you realize that you weren't created to have an easy, simple life, right? They, like Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. He's overcome the world. And one of the ways to practice that is to say, I'm going to start to get used to what does it feel like to get through trouble, right? Or like an athlete will realize that if you don't practice habits, you can think yourself all you want all day, but it's not going to get you anywhere. And you really, you really need to embody these rhythms as well as think them through. And spiritual disciplines are always like that. Spiritual disciplines always have an embodied component, you know, that of ways that you pray or ways that you meditate, ways that you uh, practice simplicity or fasting. And I think it's great for the normal everyday Christian to realize their body needs to be involved in their faith. Otherwise it's, they're not fully realizing the faith that Jesus is calling them to. Right. And those storms in life are coming one way or the other. So the more that you can create a foundation to withstand those storms, the better. And I believe that whether it's working out or fasting or putting yourself through daily uncomfort is a way that when life does get really uncomfortable and it's outside circumstances that you're not in control of, one way to better handle those would be the stress that you're kind of giving yourself on a daily basis to withstand that. And it's... You know, James one, consider a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of every time of every kind, because it'll make you mature and complete. You can Mm -hmm. kind of I don't want to say cheat the system, but you can help yourself become a little bit more mature to withstand those storms by creating these these stresses, whether it's fasts or workouts or cold plunges that we've seen, you know, incredible uh, PTSD results from people cold plunging. Well, it's it's the stress improving to yourself daily that you can withstand some some uncomfortableness. So uh, really yeah. enjoy talking on that. Yeah, yeah. So we could we could go on all day on that, but we'll I know, keep I know, I know. Let's shift to, yeah. to another one. So um, 
in a, in a previous episode, we really focused on a weekly Sabbath. Um, mm-hmm. Sabbaths are tough for me because I work on Sundays, which would generally be sure. a Sabbath sure. day. Yeah. And not every day is a super hard work day, but it's really hard to deny a media request that comes in and say, sorry, this is my Sabbath today, Colin Coward. This, could, this is a really big opportunity, yeah, right. even though I know that in the long run, it would be very valuable for me to truly take a Sabbath. And there's rhythms of life where this becomes easier and not easier. So describe uh, in, in your mind, because a Sabbath can look a little different to to many different cultures or individuals. So what's a, yeah. what's, what's a weekly Sabbath look like to you? Well, I start from this, the, the biblical gift of Sabbath, and just think about Beginning in Genesis, God seems to have made the world such that it is good for us to have rhythms of rest. And Jesus, Jesus affirms that. And it would be a, you know, a whole other podcast to talk about, you know, well, what should it actually be like? Should it be like the Old Testament or should it be like something else? But I'm much more in the camp of saying a rhythm of rest is healthy. And Jesus says this is a gift for us. You know, we should lean into it. But he also shows that we shouldn't feel um, restrained by it. We should feel like we're, we're given something by it. So for me, what it looks like is taking one day every week and saying, my work on that day is going to be unlike my work the rest of the week, because I'm going to do the hard work of rest. And it is, you know, to, to engage in worship on Sunday and to actually rest does take a certain kind of work, but it's a different kind of work. So one of my favorite quotes is by a, actually a Jewish rabbi who says that a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind, but a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. And so for me, a writer and a lawyer, often engaging on some manual labor, like um, getting in the woods and cutting up a log with a chainsaw or just hauling junk or maybe doing handyman tasks around the house, is extremely restful to me. Um, and I don't that doesn't bother me because I'm not in my inbox. Right. And obviously if you're a parent, like you're going to have the work of parenting, but we try to share that work by having a family meal on our Sundays where all our brothers and sisters and their cousins are around and we can kind of rest in a different way. Worship is always included. So, and for me, it's Saturday evening to Sunday evening. We look at those sort of, so like we get start on Saturday and by Sunday evening, we're getting back to the the work of the week and start to check the inbox for Monday morning. But I, I, I say all those things because it can be flexible. I just really encourage people to lean in to the idea that God made you to rest. And one of the ways you can realize his goodness to you is by saying, I can't get it all done. There's always another opportunity. There's more to do, but that's okay that I can't get it all done because Jesus is the God who said on the cross, it's finished. The most important work in the world is finished by him. And so Sabbath is actually a way to look to your salvation once a week, again, to embody that rhythm of salvation and say, he's good enough. He can do it. He can do it all. I can't do it all. I'm going to be human and rest. And so much, I think, of America's mental health epidemic and general exhaustion would be cured by Sabbath. I know it's been an enormous help for me. So strongly commend it to anybody. But, you know, practice your way to it. Don't feel guilty if you're not doing it all right right now. Just it took it took it's taken me years to sort of iterate towards a Sabbath rhythm that really works for my whole family. And then we have a different stage and it changes and we have to work again. But just do something rather than nothing. Start moving towards rest once a week is what I recommend for people. 
Really good stuff. And and part of that exhaustion that comes from the culture we live in is that we're always on. We got our cell phone sitting next to us at all times and it's always on. And so last one that we'll kind of spoil from the book and everyone else can dig in on the rest of them by, by purchasing the book, but, uh, is, is that break from the phone daily that, that 60 minutes a day uh, of the phone just being off. And so uh, a couple years ago, I was encouraged by an executive coach I was working with at the time to implement this. He actually recommended two periods of the day, once during the day, and then once in the evening around the kids where you're completely off. And and part of the being off during the day would be able to get some deep work in, Mm -hmm. whether that's Mm -hmm. critical thinking, whether that's a workout where you're not checking your phone, whatever it is where you're just kind of off for a certain period twice a day he recommended you you recommend uh the the 60 minutes with your phone off per day so what have you seen what kind of fruit have you seen in your life from implementing that 60 minutes of fasting away from your phone yeah my gosh i mean honestly so much so much fruit eric i i do it still every day usually now it's more than 60 minutes because i like it so much being away from it i also actually have a form i don't turn it off at work because I need like emergency clients to be able to come through on my calls, but it's generally on do not disturb all day. So I'm like, I'm not, and it's away from me, you know? Um, but here, here's the fruit. I thought that I couldn't do this because I was a corporate lawyer who needed to be on call, but I realized I was so absent from my family in the evening because I was always checking email again. Cause if it's with you, it's nudging you in a thousand ways. And so I remember one day I said, I'm just going to try this. I'm going to try turning my phone off an hour a day. And two incredible things happened. I mean, one, I bounced right back to being present with my family, um, which I think is really helpful for people to realize. You, you God has made you <laughs> with a neuroplastic brain. There's a grace built into you that, that you will become present again. You long for a relationship. If you give yourself the space for that, you will bounce back to that. And I think that's encouraging. The other interesting thing that happened was that no one at my office noticed that my phone was off, which like nobody cared. And I, I realized, oh, I was so worried that somebody was going to get mad at me. And I realized I was just less important than I thought that, you know, the world was fine without me on email for an hour. And that was also really important to realizing, you know, okay, I am, I don't need to be on, I'm not a heart surgeon on call. And this general just sort of ah, it's like sigh came over me. Like I can be present and I can with my kids and family and I can be not present to the phone. And that's a great rhythm. And so now it's, it's every single day, um, at least an hour. I use something now called the RO box, which you should go to goro.com. It's a really cool product. Um, it encourages you to put your phone in there when you come in the door and it just sits in there and it records your time off. And it's been a great way for our house to have a home for our phones and the, but the, the, I'll just end this by saying this can sound like a life hack, like everybody wants to use their phone le- less and that's good. But I think the real spiritual value here is that when you realize that God made you for presence and that everything important in life from loving God to loving neighbor, which are the two greatest commandments, require presence. And that requires that we be people who can turn it off to, to be attentive to prayer. For example, I, ge- I genuinely don't know how we would become a people of prayer or teach our kids to pray if we never know how to turn our phone off. And two, just to be present with each other. I mean, a conversation mm-hmm. with a friend, with your spouse, with your child, eye contact, bodily presence, undistracted, that is what we are made for. 
And I am all for the good things that smartphones do, but if you know, we should not be mastered by anything. You know, we should be mastering them. We should be in charge. And turning them off is one of the most keystone fundamental habits to becoming a person who says, I use this for a lot of things, but it doesn't use me. And that makes all the difference. That's so good. I, I was pretty convicted, uh, not pretty convicted. I was really convicted uh, right when every, like we were doing schooling from home and COVID started and all that. My son was three or four at the time. And I walk into my office and he's got this in my office. I have this big uh, Bill's you know, portrait behind the desk. And it's me in the middle of all the guys kind of reminded me of when I was a, a captain in the NFL and all that. And kind of gets me going to like, Hey, you're still a leader, this and that. And I walked in and he said, one second, one second. And he's holding an Apple TV remote up to his ear. He's got the computer screen flipped up in front of him. And that was him <laughs> imitating daddy. And I'm like, Ooh, this isn't good. And so, uh, in, in unpacking that with my executive coach, that's when I kind of came up with the, Hey, at least an hour mm -hmm. per night, just uninterrupted. And for me, uh, it, it's become a fun practice. And so it's become almost more fun. Like, hey, you know, daddy's phone's off. It'll be, hey, can we watch a video on your phone? Nope, my phone's done. And But it's become yeah. this deal where, hey, I'm showing my kids in a, in a very small way, showing my wife in a very small way that, hey, I'm, I am present in this moment with you guys. You know, daddy travels on the weekends to call Bill's games this time of year. But when I'm here, my phone is off mm -hmm. for these periods, at least for an hour a night. And it's amazing how an hour felt like so long at first. And now the freedom that it gives you that it's generally closer to an hour and 20 minutes because it's, yes. it's kind of, you know, dinner through bedtime and through bath exactly. and all that. So, and, exactly. uh, it's, it's been great for our family. So all those listening out there, I would greatly encourage it and kind of that brain fog that you hit at night. And, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like I have more patience in those moments cause I'm not on oh, and absolutely. off between attention with the family and then attention back to the phone or a social media ding or a golf game yeah. that could be planned for two days that really has no implications. Uh, there's no implications <laughs> for me getting back two hours right. later. And right. so you're just, you, it, it takes a lot off your plate. So you've implemented all these habits weekly and, and daily into your life. When people read the book, do you, would you rather have someone say, I'm going to implement Justin's habits? Or do you have, if you were coaching someone Post reading the book, would you say analyze your life and your goals and figure out your habits? Or would you say, look, these are biblically based habits that I think everyone should implement, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, I would I would generally say start with these, um, which is not to say imitate me, but but to say most people don't do well with app optionality these days because we have so much of it and we have decision fatigue and we think and we convince ourselves of, of bad stuff like, oh, I don't need to do that, but I need to do that. Well, if you're actually working with a pastor, executive coach or a really close friend who understands you, sure, start iterating and make up some of your own. But for the vast majority of people, I like gently say these are some of the key habits um, over years that I found these make a difference because they specifically combat some other liturgy in American life. And by that, I mean some other habit that's leading you in worship and you don't even know it, like being on your phone all the time. Um, they, they combat these liturgies of constant pleasure, fasting, right? Of constant distraction, turning your phone off, or of constant work, Sabbathing. 
And I would just invite people to say, I'll start with the common rule practices. There's four daily habits and four weekly habits. Try it out for at least a month, ideally two or three, because it takes a couple weeks, usually at least four to six to make something a habit. And once you realize that this is not hard, burdensome, this is actually the light burden of Jesus where what's hard is doing nothing. Like living according to the normal American program of habits for you as dictated by your smartphone and your work and social media is completely exhausting. And we have the mental illness stats to prove it, right? Um, Following Jesus is a light burden. Yes, it still requires work. I mean, you have to do something, but it is a, it's a, it's a call to rest. And so I'd say, start with these, see what you think. And then, yeah, start to iterate and say, all right, this one really works for me. This one works for our family and, you know, feel free, but look, look, you know, all these are built around the classic spiritual disciplines, things that have worked for millennia for Christians and throughout the Bible, things like community, prayer, fasting, simplicity, attention, presence, you know, that you, you can't go wrong with that kind of stuff. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In your newest book, Made for People, you focus on the importance of not living in an isolation and in the power of community. And so um, I'd like you to just kind of uh, dig in a little bit on the importance of the people that you surround yourself with. So you mentioned earlier, Mm. you know, the Great Commission, love God, love one another. You know, since COVID, it's been, you know, periods of isolation for so many but the, the people that you surround yourself with in your life is so important. Uh, mm. Dig in on that for a second, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, so when I was in my anxiety class that I told you about earlier, um, I had an incredible, incredibly important moment with my two best friends, Steve and Matt, who knew like how dark it was getting for me, who knew that I was actually starting to have suicidal, suicidal thoughts, that I was really struggling, that I was coping in a, you know inappropriate ways. And they just... They knew what was going on, right? And the difference between people who go through stuff like that alone or go through stuff like that alongside other close friends who know what's happening in your life, I cannot tell. That makes all the difference. I mean, what is common for all of us is that we go through dark struggles. Everybody will have them. We're all broken centers. What is uncommon is whether we go through them beside other people. And so I look back at that moment of life and I say, whoa, there could have been a real fork in the road. Like, does, does Justin become the statistic of, you know, the nervous medicating lawyer that ends very badly? But, my, but friends in my life walking beside me drastically changed what happened to me. And specifically what happened is if, if people read the common rules, we got to an evening where I was sitting with these two guys writing down a new program of habits that I was asking them to keep me accountable to. And so they were, friendship was incredibly involved in my recovery. And even one of those weekly habits was spend an hour in intentional, vulnerable conversation with a friend. So that was one of the chapters in the common rule. Fast forward now, that book was published about five years ago. Um, Not quite, but almost, I think. Friendship has continued to become even more and more important. And at the same time, and I didn't know this then, America was starting an epidemic of loneliness where we're becoming, actually, we're, we're living uh, shorter lives because we're dying from causes associated with endemic loneliness. And so this is like an urgent issue for Americans right now. 
that we need friends in order to live the life that God created us to live. So Made for People, my mo- most recent book, is sort of just entirely devoted to that. And it's, it's about why, as a, on a spiritual level, we need friendship as a spiritual practice. Because everybody knows, like, who, who doesn't want more friends? Like, everybody <laughs> intuitively wants people. But, but here's the problem, Eric. Americans, we live in this slant where we become busier, wealthier people who used to have friends. Everything about the norm of American life is trying to push you towards loneliness and we're dying of it. So this is a call to say you need to be around people. And we can talk about what type of people that is, but just start by saying you need to figure out how at least once a week to be involved in, in meaningful conversation with a friend and that will change your life. Yeah, when my career ended, I talk a lot about it in my book, Tackle What's Next. But when my career ended, part of the reason where this this news didn't make me hit rock bottom it, when it could have easily been a rock bottom moment mm-hmm. was one, my foundation and my faith and, and trusting God's plan for me and something great's going to come from this, it, you know, if I can push through this. But then also it was my incredible wife. It's my loving family. Mm-hmm. And then it was groups of people and, you know, podcast guests, people that would come and pour into me. And it was the people that got me through it as much as anything. And if you're trying to battle that alone, it's going to be so difficult knowing that storms in life are coming. So if you're not in one right now, you might be saying, I'm, I'm okay in isolation, but it, there's the storms in life are, are coming. And so you, you, yes. the, the, the more of a foundation of, of, a, of a core group of, of people that can then pour into you in those moments is going to be so valuable uh, in your life. And so you have a lot going on in your life. I like asking high achievers, people that I respect a tremendous amount that also don't sacrifice their family and their faith on the altar of yeah. success and chasing that success. Do you have a morning routine that you like to abide by that, that sets you up for the day? 100%. I, I, I've been waiting this whole podcast for you to ask. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, I, I, I do. And so I'll walk you through it and then I'll break down the little little pieces. And I always try to caveat this stuff. You know, it sounds like I think to, to outsiders hearing somebody else's routine the first time, it's like, oh, I could never do that many things. But this is just normal now. Like I did it this morning. It's not hard. So my alarm goes off at, at 6.50 and I get up and I immediately go take a cold shower. And then that, well, actually, my alarm gets up at 6.50. First habit is I kneel beside the bed and pray very briefly. And that like starts the day in a moment of gratitude. It starts the day with me thinking about what God has given me instead of all that I have to do at work. Um, Right after that, I walk and take a cold shower. And that's the part where, like we were talking about earlier, I don't want to do that when I wake up. (laughs) It's, It's very uncomfortable. It's very cold. It's very shocking. But immediately... One of the hardest things of the day, if not the hardest thing, is over. And I walk out of that thinking, okay, I voluntarily suffered. Now I can involuntarily suffer through discipline problems I didn't expect or client requests that I didn't want. It just changes my mentality of, do I deserve comfort today? No. But can I act courageously? Can I act intentionally? Yes. So kneeling prayer, cold shower. Then I start to get the boys and my wife up. I bring her a coffee. Um, Importantly, the phone is not part of this routine. So the phone is away. It is like I haven't looked at it, right? And that will continue. So I'll do breakfast with my kids. We will get to the um, the door. We'll all say me, my wife, and my four boys will say a short morning prayer together before we go out the door. And this is to try to interrupt the 
the crush of busyness and like we need to run out the door and hurry and be on time is to have a family moment of saying, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to send us out to work and to school today. Um, we get in the car, I drop them off at school. And then right after I drop them off, I right now my rhythm is to say, hey, Siri, open Dwell, which is the Bible app that I listen to. And so then on my drive to work, um, I still haven't looked at my phone. So I don't know what emails are in the inbox. I don't know what news is going on today. I don't know what people are saying on Twitter. And I'm just, the first thing I'm really thinking about that day is listening to the scriptures and doing a devotion. Um, and then I get to the office and I do a morning writing hour where I work on my writing and then my legal day starts at 9 a.m. And so those are, those are sort of the, the things um, between, you know, if you think about it, there's scripture, there's some, you know, health stuff with the cold shower. There's a family prayer and family communing time with breakfast with the boys uh, there's an actual devotion. And then there's a sort of a, a creative hour of working on things that are really important to me. It, by the time 9am comes and I'm sitting at this desk where you're talking to me right now, doing my legal work. Um, most of the most important things about the day are over. You know, I'll do, I'll do a lot of other important things, but most of the really important things are done and the big pieces are in place. And that allows me to get ground up through the routine of like being a corporate lawyer and working by saying, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of shots I can take the rest of the day, but most of the important stuff is already done. And that has really helped me, I think, be a mentally healthy, productive and, and like follower of Jesus as I do my corporate lawyering job. Yeah. There's been people that I admire, um, on a number of different levels that have come on the show and that, that do are not intentional about their morning routine, but most are most involve some type of discomfort, quiet time, spiritual practice, um, health practice. It's like there's staples in each and every one of them that, that, that ring true. Um, Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Mentors, essentially said mm -hmm. the same thing in a, in a non-Christian way. It was very similar principles. Uh, I like the prayer right before you go out the door because how many families, especially with young kids, rush out the door in an extremely stressful way and whether intentionally or not, uh, put the kids in a stressful state going to school when it's not... Sometimes yeah. it's their fault, but it's not always their fault that <laughs> not you may be stressed yeah. or a little bit behind or didn't sleep yeah. as well. But that is a great way to kind of ground everyone back in like, okay, we are blessed. We're going to, you know, if it was the Wood family, okay, we're blessed. We're going to spread joy today. We're going to let our light yeah. shine. Here we go. Like, that's a great way of kind of centering yeah. it. We don't do it necessarily before we leave the house. Um, right before we, you leave the house, exiting our garage, you would see Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper, and he who oh, refreshes wow. others will be refreshed. That's our family verse. And then before the kids get out of the car, you know, we'll say, "What are you going to make today? The best day ever. What are you going to do? Spread joy." Okay, very simple. Like, let's have a great day and and spread joy. the The expectations are off, you guys. Just be joy spreaders at school. So we wow, we do that, that in a touch different way. But I like you know just before leaving the house, especially if it's a morning where I'm not going to be taking the kids to school or whatever it is, I, I like that morning prayer a lot. Um, a couple quick questions and then I'll, I'll get you out of here and be respectful of your time. Besides your own, do you have a, a favorite book or a, or a book that's been really instrumental in, in your growth in life? A lot. Um, it, on the habit stuff, the, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg is a New York times bestseller. I think it's better than atomic habits is, now the book that most people read, but the power of habit is really big into the psychology of why habits form our brain. 
and why they affect so much of our communal life. So that, that was a really, really powerful one for me. Um, on a, let's see, I'm trying to think of a great one on a spiritual level to go along with that. Um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline is a classic book on the spiritual disciplines and why the lives you know, of prayer, fasting, and scripture are really important. And so I think those two together really help. If you're like me, that you're, you're, you're not a pastor, you're not a you know, person in ministry, you're working on a regular sort of regular person job, quote unquote, those help you realize, oh, the, you can still live a very formative, spiritual, rich life in those areas. And in fact, I think that's what the, the Lord is calling us to do. So I'd recommend both of those books. They're both enduring over 10 years old and really helpful. We're recording this on Halloween morning. You have four sons. Uh, any good costumes that you want to share? <laughs> all right. We were supposed to all be a version of Spider-Man so we could do like that meme where all the Spider-Man, you know, are pointing yeah. to each other. And I, my wife and I thought that was so cool. And then the boys were like, none of us want to do it. And I'm like, it's Spider-Man. How do you not like this? And none of them want to do it. So we have um, one dragon one Minecraft llama, which is going to make no sense to most people. But if you played Minecraft, then you'll know that like there are these like block llamas. Um, I think we have a ninja, a Star Wars character. And then me, I always fail to dress up as anything. I, I, I wear the same leather jacket and white t-shirt and try to say it's a costume of something, but it's never is. Yeah, you're from, uh, what is it, Greece or something? I could be uh, a greaser, maybe the Fonz. Like one year I was trying to be the Star Wars character, uh, I can't remember Poe, Poe, who who uh, who wears a leather jacket, but uh, I'm a pretty lame Halloween. But I just walk around with the kids. Yeah, this will be our first year where we haven't done a big family where we're all one theme, and so I'd like to get back to that next year. Our daughter's very into Taylor Swift right now, and so nice. doing a family theme based off of Taylor Swift was going to be difficult. I That'd was be supposed to be Travis. I was supposed to be Travis Kelsey. But I know it's probably not a big deal, but me posting on social media in a Chiefs jersey when that's the Bills' biggest rival when I played my whole career that's and I'm tough, still employed man. by then. I don't think you like, should do it. Don't do it. No, no. <laughs> so then I don't know if I should do that. And then uh, my son wanted to be a cowboy. So we're like, oh, we'll do country music stars or, you know, so he could be Garth Brooks. And I told my wife, I was like, well, you should be Trisha Yearwood. And she's like, well, I don't want to dress up. So anyways, family themes <laughs> offer this year. There was a lot of internal uh, debate on this, but uh, this will be the first what year was, we have What was done. your best uh, past family theme? Best past family theme. So a lot of it's been Disney characters. Um, okay. But last year we were, oh gosh, Sully Mike, Monsters, Inc. So we were Monsters, Inc. That's characters. And I That's ordered, I was Sully. And so we did this boo at the zoo deal, like trick or treat around the zoo. And I bought like an authentic movie costume version of Sully. And wow. but then everyone thought I worked there. So people were lining up for pictures. <laughs> but my son was Mike. So I was big Sully. He's little Mike. And we we had a lot of fun with that one last year. It was cool. That's a good one. I bet that was a gift to all the kids at the zoo. <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. Until finally I had to like take off the mask because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done taking pictures. I want to just spend some time right. with the family here. Yeah, but my kids funny. got a huge kick out of it. All right. Last one for me. This is what's next with Eric Wood. What's next for Justin Whitmill early? What do you have coming down the line for you? Um, a bunch of stuff, actually. But the thing I'm probably most excited about is that I'm working on a next writing project. 
that is going to be about the kinds of stuff that we were starting to get into of how embodied practices teach us spiritual lessons. And so my next writing is kind of going to be similar to the common rule, except it's going to, it's just going to go through how spiritual practices are physically embodied and how embodied practices like exercise, fasting, cold showers, diet, sleep, all that stuff are actually really spiritual. And you should think about how both of these are intertwining to affect the way you walk with Jesus. So that won't be out for a while, but probably about this time next year, people start to hear about the title and stuff. But I'm, I'm deep in my research right now of how the body teaches the soul. So stay tuned for that. Well, I am fired up for that one. I will, I yeah. will uh, definitely be bugging you to get you back on the show to promote that one. And we could, we could feel like we could have earlier. We almost did. We could feel an entire podcast. Talking I, I about think it'll be a good one for us to just talk about again. So I'll keep you updated. Yeah. Yeah. If you need any, uh, if you need any insights on, Hey, as an athlete, this is how you exactly. honor God through your work ethic, um, mm-hmm. the way you play. You know, as a Christian, you're not called to be soft. Uh, and right, I've done right. some FCA talks on that over the years because it always bugged me when someone would say, well, Christian athletes are softer. I'm like, well, it should be the opposite. You know, when we watch yeah, film, there's no audio. Like you should be able to tell the Christians out there based upon how hard they play and Mm. by saying, wow, how does he have so much more energy or effort or the way he prepares because you're honoring God in all of that. So anyways, if you need help with that, just let me know. But Justin, thank you for coming on. We'll put a link to your website, uh, Justin. Uh, com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, link to your social handles as well. He's a great follow on social media. Those with kids out there, some very practical advice on there as well, especially for Christian households. So Justin, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you for the work that you do outside of your law career to truly make an impact on individuals like me and all the listeners out there. You bet, Eric. This has been great. I'm already looking forward to the next time we talk. I'll, I'll be in touch with you to talk about the body teaches the soul stuff. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, brother. All right. See ya.